All right, well, good afternoon. Take your Bibles to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29. Last time I preached, it was, you got 10 minutes, do what you can. This time, it's take all the time you want, but everyone will be asleep in 20 minutes. So I seem to hit the sweet spot most of the time. Jeremiah 29, obviously right after uh, eating is the most challenging time to stay awake most of the time, but let's try to give you a few things here from the, from the scriptures to take with you this afternoon, try to encourage our hearts a bit. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 1, <clears throat> the Bible says, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders, which were carried away captives, and to the priests, and to the prophets, and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that, Jeconiah, the king, and the queen, and the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, and the carpenters and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem. By the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent unto Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. And uh, I'd like to speak to you just a little bit, Lord willing. Uh, Something I've entitled Gardening in Babylon. Gardening in Babylon. Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the time that we've already enjoyed together today. And thank you that we can gather as your people. And uh, Father, for the freedom that we have to do so. Pray that we would never take it for granted. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word as it's gone forth already this morning. And for the time of fellowship and food that we enjoyed. And I pray that uh, you just be with us these next few moments. Help us to glean something from your word. And we'll praise you and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is taking place probably somewhere around 600-ish B.C. If you know much about the life of Jeremiah, uh, he basically was raised up in the, the divided kingdom of Israel in the south, the kingdom of Judah, and during the time of Josiah. And then he was with them, carried all the way into Babylonian captivity. And of course, he's called the, the weeping prophet. And if you study much of his life, he doesn't exactly have an enviable position. Uh, if someone told you that I'm going to put you in the ministry, uh, you're going to have a broken heart pretty much all the time. Uh, you're going to be sad. Oh, and by the way, you aren't going to have any converts. Uh, it's going to basically seem like no one is going to listen to you the entire time you minister for your whole life. Go out there and have a good time. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty tough charge, right? Uh, His message broke his own heart. Uh, He wanted to give up. In chapter 20, we read about that, and he said God's word was just like a fire in his bones, and he just, he couldn't quit, right? Couldn't quit. 
even though he had a, a tough mission, uh, a brokenhearted man uh, in many ways. And yet, in fact, go back to chapter 16. Of course, he was chosen as a prophet from before his birth. We read about that in, in chapter 1. And in chapter 16 here, you look at in verse 1. The word of the Lord came also unto me, saying, Thou shalt not take thee a wife, neither shalt thou have sons or daughters in this place. And you just think about that. Here's a man who's already alone. He's got a message that no one wants to hear. And he's constantly having to minister under that. You'd think, well, at least maybe God would have you know, given him a wife or some children, somebody close that could comfort him and that he could draw strength from. But then I think we see why that is, and you find that God actually spared him. It says, verse 3, For thus saith the Lord concerning the sons, concerning the daughters that are born in this place, and concerning their mothers that bear them, and concerning their fathers that beget them in this land, they shall die of grievous deaths, and they shall not be lamented, neither shall they be buried, but they shall be as dung upon the face of the earth, and they shall be consumed by the sword and by the famine. And their carcasses shall be meat for the fowls of heaven and for the beasts of the earth. Sounds to me like God knew Jeremiah already had his share of heartache in this world. And he was sparing him from that. Said, I'm not going to give you a wife and kids because this is what is going to happen to women and children. And he already had his cup of sorrow overflowing, you might say. But that's the the man, that's the context here, of course, is people are going into captivity in Babylon. We see that just several times mentioned even in this chapter, going from Jerusalem down to Babylon. And Jeremiah eventually is labeled a traitor by his own countrymen. I mean, a few hundred years before him, Isaiah was the prophet, of course, uh, the, the great Isaiah. And Isaiah was telling them to fight. You know, to stand their ground, to stand up for God and to not give in to the enemy. But now Jeremiah has come along and because the Lord told him to, he's telling them, no, it's time to put your neck under the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, this Babylonian king. I know it's not what you want to hear, but God is telling you it's now time to submit to your enemy. That's the place that we find ourselves in. And his countrymen labeled him a traitor. They put him in jail He predicted their 70 years of captivity. But for a man who is so full of a a broken heart and predicted such uh, things that his countrymen didn't want to hear, he was also, toward the end of his book, uh, he spake glowingly of Israel's future. And what a testament that is to the God that they serve. This same God that's sending you into captivity is going to bring you out. He's going to bring you out. And perhaps... No other place in scripture, Jeremiah is is an incredible picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, and and we'll not sidebar on that this afternoon, but he wept over the city of Jerusalem, just like we find Jesus doing. But this book, in so many ways, really typifies, I think, the concept as God's children of being pilgrims in this world. Pilgrims. Pilgrims. Even the nation of Israel, you can go all the way back to Jacob recounting his life before Pharaoh. He talks about the days and the years of my pilgrimage. My pilgrimage. The Bible says that when the children of Israel were in the land of Canaan, they dwelt there in the land of their pilgrimage. You know, sometimes we 
I think a little bit wrongly, we get this idea that Canaan was supposed to be some sort of picture of heaven. No, that, that was, they were still pilgrims there. Yeah, God gave them that land. I think it's more typical of the victorious Christian life than our final home in heaven. The psalmist said that he sang his songs in the house of his pilgrimage. In Hebrews 11, the so-called hall of faith and these great believers of faith who had gone on before, says they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 2, Beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Strangers and pilgrims. You know, you can go over to Jeremiah chapter 35. He talks about this particular family called the Rechabites, who for multiple generations have been taught by their great-grandfather, to not build houses, not own land, and specifically not drink wine. And all these things are are typical. But he was teaching them a lesson, and the lesson was to hold very loosely to the things of this life. If God gives them to you, enjoy the blessings. Use them wherever you can. Bless others. Further the work of God but hold loosely to the things of this life. See, those people, you can imagine those kids growing up over three generations. Wow, we don't get to do the things all the other kids get to do. Strict moms and dads. But then the day came when they saw all their friends being carried away into slavery, captive. And you know what? They had already become accustomed to that way of living. They ended up getting to stay in the land because they didn't have houses that had to be taken. They were already used to a pilgrim lifestyle, if you will. I think as God's people, we should have that in the back of our mind. We enjoy a lot of blessings, especially maybe as modern-day Americans, more so than many Christians throughout history. And they're not bad. They should be enjoyed and they should be used, but they should be held lightly by God's people. It's easy to get sucked into those things. It's easy to start putting importance where it doesn't belong. Our mandate, here they're being taken into another land, and they're being told, he said, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, God of Israel, unto all that are carried away. He says, Build houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit thereof. Babylon was known for its gardens. If you know about the seven ancient wonders of the world, one of them is the hanging gardens of Babylon. God says, look, if you're going to be obedient now, you're going to go into captivity. You're going to be living in enemy territory. But you know what? I don't want you to be diminished while you're there. That's what he says. You need to marry, give your children to marry so that they can have children so that you can grow while you're in the land. You're going to need a place to live, build houses, Take up, plant some roots there. Build gardens. You're going to need to sustain yourself. But realize that this isn't your home. You're a pilgrim in enemy territory. And don't ever lose sight of that. You know, it doesn't feel like that to us a lot of times. But that's about having a a faith, a mindset of faith and belief in the scripture. Just like we have to believe things from the Bible about our future home in heaven or God providing for us, that sometimes it's not always evident. Sometimes when you're living in enemy situations like we are, it 
maybe doesn't feel like we're exactly on enemy territory. We have to trust the Bible for that, just like we do for all the other things it tells us, don't we? Yeah, you lose sight of that, the enemy's got you. You start forgetting which side you're on. We have a different mandate. Our mandate doesn't come from the world, just like theirs didn't. It came from God. The Bible says that, of course, we're to go into all the world. We're to preach the gospel. We're to teach all things concerning Christ. That's our mandate. That's our mission. Just like the Lord gave the story of, uh, of the landowner leaving his servants, and he gives them each 10 pounds, and he says, occupy till I come. The Lord's away, but he's coming back, and he's left his servants charge. He's given them management over his things while he's gone. Our mandate is not from the world. Our, our methods are not from the world. We're not to act like them. We don't do things the way it may be popular to do because we have a guidebook right here. Amen. And this is what we follow. You go back in chapter 9 of Jeremiah. It talks about how they didn't speak truth and each man deceived his neighbor. Hmm. Deception, even to each other. Our method is that we are to preach the word and be in season, instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. We're told in Ephesians that every man is to speak truth with his neighbor. Boy, that's getting harder and harder to do, isn't it? Perhaps never has it seemed like such a rebellious thing to do to just speak the truth. You know, before Alexander Solzhenitsyn was taken off into a Russian gulag in 1974, he had literally just a little bit of time before they came and hauled him off. And he wrote down something. It was, it's probably maybe a page, really, worth of his final thoughts. And he said, the, the one thing that can prevent this from happening is if we would all just refuse to speak lies and entertain lies. If we would all just speak truth in every conversation, at every point, and not agree to be complicit in lies. And that's all over. Our culture is saturated with that right now. Critical race theory, BLM, all, it's all lies. Right. And we're asked to just kind of go along with it, don't rock the boat. And I'm not saying you've got to walk around with the sword, you know, hacking people into pieces. But we need to stand up for truth. Right. At least as it comes across our way, we need to let it be known, yeah, that's not right. It's not kind and it's not loving to lie to people. You notice here in verse 7, it says they were to seek the peace of the city. This is the city where they're being dragged from their homes and taken into captivity and basically put into slavery as bondmen. God tells them, you better seek the peace of that city because your peace is tied to it. The peace of that city, he says, thereof shall be, shall ye have peace. The Bible tells us we're to pray for our leaders, that as God's people, we may live quiet and peaceable lives, doesn't it? Yeah, we're still pilgrims here, but we have to get by as God has work for us. Our materials are not the same as the world's. God provides for our support. 
As hard as that is to believe sometimes, we have many instances throughout Scripture where God sends help to King David, 1 Chronicles 12. He, the mighty men, the Bible says, who were helpers of the war. David's a leader in battle, and God sent him the helpers that he needed. Jesus, when he went away, said it was expedient, right, for him to leave, because if he didn't leave, he wouldn't send the comforter to help us. Paul said in Romans 16, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Helpers of your joy in 2 Corinthians 1. Philippians 1.19, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the support of the spirit of Jesus Christ. He said in Philippians 2 of Epaphroditus, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service towards me. God's got his people in the right places. Supply any lack we may have. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. God's in the supplying business. We get our supplies from him. Our doctrine is not from this world. It's from this book. Well, that's easy to forget. You might say, well, of course, Brad, you're a Christian. The doctrine comes from the Bible. Yeah, but we get saturated with the world's teaching all the time. Look at how many churches think they're going to build a bus program. They're going to build a mega church. They're going to draw a crowd. How? By using the world's philosophies, the world's system, the world's leadership principles. It's over and over and over. Our marching orders don't come from the world. Our methods don't come from the world. Our doctrine doesn't come from the world. In chapter 10, Jeremiah says in verse 2, Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. The Bible talks about all kinds of signs from heaven, but we're not to be dismayed as his people. Gardening in Babylon, living in enemy territory, takes some skill, it takes some wisdom. The Bible tells us to walk circumspectly, be mindful of what's going on around us. We aren't just floating through this life, or at least we shouldn't be, Christian. If you are, repent of it. There's work to do, and you're operating behind enemy lines, as dramatic as that sounds. That's the truth from the Bible. And we need to keep our heads screwed on straight. How's your garden doing? Are you doing what you need to do down here so that you can do what God would have you do? The word backsliding is found almost exclusively in the book of Jeremiah in the Bible, far more times than the rest of the scripture combined. People had backslidden and backslidden and backslidden. You know, sometimes you get in a condition and there's really only one thing left to do. In fact, as we close, go back to Jeremiah 14. Jeremiah 14, what's to be done in a backslidden condition? Well, you might be interested and even shocked by what isn't to be done. God's talking here to Jeremiah in chapter 14, verse 10. He says, thus saith the Lord to this people, thus have they loved to wander. They have not refrained their feet, therefore the Lord doth not accept them. He will now remember their iniquity and visit their sins. Then said the Lord unto me, pray not for this people for their good. 
Wow. That's rough. That is rough. Yep. Say, it. well, Brad, aren't we supposed to pray? Of course we are supposed to pray. Absolutely we are to pray, but not here. Sometimes praying isn't what you need to do. Sometimes praying, in a sense, won't help. Keep going there. He says in verse 11, Then said the Lord unto me, Pray not for this people, for their good. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. I say, well, if I was fasting, I mean, that's getting serious. God would definitely pay attention then. Not always. So I fasted and I prayed, and maybe God wasn't looking for that. So what else could I do? And when they offer burnt offerings and an oblation, I will not accept them. Well, I gave. I gave sacrificially. I prayed and I fasted and I gave to get a hold of God. And he says, I'm not looking for any of that. Sometimes those things won't help. You know what other word is found more in Jeremiah than any other? Obey. Obey. More than any other book of the Bible. You know what sometimes we need to do? We just need to obey what God says. Do we need to pray? Of course we need to pray. Should we fast? Doesn't hurt. Should we be giving people? Of course we should be giving people. But sometimes God says when it's been backsliding, 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 and God's he's getting sick of it. He said they've wandered. He said, I'm, now, I'm not going to accept any of that anymore. Don't pray for them. If they fast and they give, I'm not even going to pay attention to it. When you're in that state, really the only thing to do is just start obeying Amen. God. Amen. Right. I know, that's really profound, right? But amazing, you're, we're operating behind enemy lines. God's got work for us to do. Tells us you might need to set up shop there, make a base camp, build a house, grow a family, have a garden, and obey God. Do what God would have us do and stay alert for him while we're here in this fight. How's your garden, Christian? How's your garden? Operating behind enemy lines. Serious business. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for the day. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity to hear from you. Pray that you would just uh, have us to do what you would uh, with this message, Lord. Pray we'd apply it to our hearts. And Lord, I just pray encouragement upon your people. Uh, It just seems from every side in this day in which we live, uh, there's discouragement, there's lies and half-truths. There's the enemy gaining ground, and it gets difficult. And Lord, I pray that you just... Uh, infuse some strength and some wisdom and courage and boldness into your people. Help us, Lord, to uh, Lord be wise in how we walk and to be circumspect. Pray that you'd help us to honor you every day and grow in our relationship with you. And, Lord, that we'd support and care for one another. Uh, we'd be mindful of the work that you have for us and that you'd be honored and glorified with our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.